Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is Drive-by Cinema, Season 3, Episode 49. It is. Cliff Notes for Movies with my co-host Paul. Hi, with my co-host Richard. Well, not that I know what Cliff's Notes are. What are Cliff's Notes? You don't know either. Good. Okay, no. we're none the wiser. I think they're study aids that are more popular in American schools that explain usually a heavyweight book to students. Oh, you mean Schmausters Schmausters Guide to Integrals and Yeah. There's oh, no, but for English literature. Oh for English literature. So you know, when you've got a set text, you read Cliff's notes either to help you or because you don't you haven't read the book one way or the other. I think that's the idea. I don't know. Not a thing in the schools I went to, so I don't know. Or I didn't do that kind of subject. Do you remember the I Spy books when you were a kid? I Spy books, Paul. Birds, hedgehogs, a whole series of... You go out and spot natural things with your I Spy books. You don't I do. think I remember books where it asked you a series of yes or no questions about, like, a leaf. <laughs> and then it, <laughs> at the end of that, it would tell you what the plant was. Yeah. Is that what you mean? That sounds very sophisticated. Sounds like the kind of thing you could program a washing machine with. (laughs) I don't know, maybe that was School of the Gifted. Or the Cretinous the Gifted. I'm not sure. Uh, But we had more thunderstorms this weekend. Well, you did. I didn't. I didn't hear anything. You did. I think you had a little bit. But maybe not as bad as we had it. It could kind of pitter-patter down. That was about it, really. The water came down so fast and hard here that the waste pipes, the drain system in this building went a bit funny. Like the water must... came down so hard, you kettle furred up. <laughs> no, I think because there's so much water going down the waste pipes, I think it was like sucking Dead on all of the waste pipes. Oh. So the toilet in the water went down really, really low. Did it? Because of the under pressure. And also the overflow pipe in my boiler was like rattling. You know, it's, uh, so much water must have been going down the system. It's really amazing. <laughs> Sounds like a possession to me. They call the priest. <laughs> yeah, do you know that there are actually alligators in the sewer system in Florida? There are alligators everywhere in Florida, Paul. I mean, yeah, they're in endemic, the aren't they? And people on TikTok saying, is that real? And people saying, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, those are turtles, not alligators. But anyway, there we go. I have to say I'm a bit sceptical. I mean, how much food is there for alligators in the sewers? I guess there's rats, right? Endless quantities of rats. Apparently, they get stuck down there and they die within a couple of days. What, the rats? No, the alligators. Oh, right, okay. It's no place for alligators. They do get stuck there. Just like seal, the seal that was found in 2014, 35 miles upstream from Hollyhead. In the middle of Cheshire. Seal? Yeah, Google it. 2014, the seal that was found in the middle of Cheshire in a field. He'll never ever survive. It did survive. (laughs) It was found panting. You know, it saw up a little culvert. And jumped onto the green, lush grass where sheep should normally be. Maybe it's distant, well, relative recent ancestor, depending on who you believe. Although I think it's a more doggy kind of animal, isn't it, the seal? Maybe I'll think about dolphins. And yeah, it was lying on the grass there, and it was 35 miles from where it should be. Let the record show that I smuggled a song lyric in past Paul there. Paul, how do you feel about Just planned Stop o- Oil? Planned obsolescence. Not planned obsolescence, no. About Just Stop Deprecation. Oil. <laughs> 
<laughs> to stop oil disturbing your sporting events? Because I guess you're watching the tennis, or we're watching the tennis. Tennis. Was I watching tennis? I did go to Ilkley this year to watch Northern tennis. I was talking about Wimbledon, to be fair. I know. I've been watching Southern tennis, international tennis on telly. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't think any games that I was watching, the cricket I was watching was disturbed. But you were watching tennis. cricket, Paul? You poo-pooed the uh, test match the other day when I suggested watching No, it. I just think cricket needs a new format. Right. Okay. That is one of the batsmen must be out at the end of each over. Cylindrical then you, bat. Then you get this amazing... Four We're getting there, yeah. Then you get this amazing sort of cliffhanger at the end of every over. Whoever's at the crease stays in. Whoever's not at the crease is out. So there's going to be that final rush to run. People will, somebody's going to be out anyway, so you can really swing on that ball on the last ball. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So somebody must be out at the end of each over. Or earlier, if they get, if they get balled out, you know. And that will reduce each, each innings to about 10 overs. Okay, radical. And, and you could have two hour, to... two, two and a quarter hour cricket. The ICC or whatever, have you? Yeah. Because the, they get... probably listen to you because you're a white guy. And then, I don't know what that's about. I don't, know what, I don't know what that's about. But, yeah, and then just a backstop and all the silly mid-offs and whatever just cancelled and got rid of. Only forward shots can run, you can get runs off. So, forward yeah. Forward shots, okay. Yeah, so a bit like a diamond kind of thing, if you like. But hmm. I think change has to come. Anyway, sorry, yeah, was I disrupted in my tennis watching? No, I wasn't. But what do I feel about it? I think we've talked less before, haven't we? Well, last time we talked about Just Stop Oil, they'd thrown paint over a Van Gogh in an art gallery or something, hadn't they? Yeah, maybe one of us. No, I don't think either of us articulated the idea. Well, it's really important. Isn't it more important than art? I think they themselves were saying that, weren't they? To widespread derision. And then they kind of stopped what they were doing for six months because they realised that actually a lot of the public weren't with them on this. And now they started doing it again, but in a different kind of way. So, ditto to what I said last time. I think sport's fair game, though. Like, no harm, no foul, really. I don't see how it is, really. Look, cricket protest, can be delayed. Yeah. Protest, oh, dis- disrupted protest, no. Cricket can be delayed for two days because of the weather. But no, nobody, nobody is up in arms. I mean, mm. This is the whole point about just the spoiler. Like, the weather's going to get worse and worse and more unreliable unless we do something about using oil and climate change. And they only disrupt these sporting events for like 10 minutes, whereas rain can send tennis off for the rest of the day. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Sure, but what makes them feel that they have more right to disrupt them than, say, other people? What, what other people? Who, who well, else the, do you want there's to... a sense that their disruption is somehow more justifiable because of what they believe to be the urgency of the situation. As opposed to... As opposed to somebody else who believes something else. Come on, Paul. What cause are you fighting for here? I'm not. No, Sounds like you, you've got a no. fire in your belly. No. <laughs> Go no. and protest, Paul. Don't be a retiring violet. One, I mean, what's stopping them you holding banners up in the, in the crowd? Nothing. Have they done that? No. I mean, have they tried to protest in a non-disruptive manner? Why don't you just do some good old-fashioned streaking, Paul? Write whatever you think on your buttocks. Balls. Oh, well, it depends how big your message is. And then run out across the, the court, Paul. That's what you should be doing. Don't you criticise the size of my kettlebells. Look, I mean, <laughs> so, look, I mean, the point is, what is the point I'm trying to labouring to make here? The point is... Uh, 
Don't ruin my tennis. I, I don't agree with well that. I don't agree with the idea that uh, if that you should be allowed, if you like, to up your protest to disruptive protest before you've even tried non-disruptive or, or you know non-disruptive protest. I don't understand how that's to be lauded or admired as a marketing strategy. But they're going to say that there has been protests, normal peaceful protests for for years now. Nothing has happened. That's what they're going to say. And. You know, I've got to say, gluing okay. yourself to roads and blocking roads, I think that is potentially dangerous. And I'm not so sure about ruining pieces of art. That I think that's borderline. But disrupt all the sport you like. I don't give a shit. I think that's absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, one man's freedom fighter, another man's, another man's terrorist, isn't it? You know, right? It all depends on what's important to you. Well, I've heard anyway that there's a plan afoot to defeat them, the protesters. Something I'd never heard of before, amazing to think of, really. What they're going to do is they're going to go on a recruiting drive for particular people who apparently are particularly good at handling these crowd and security situations. I don't know why it is, nominative determinism, you could call it, but apparently people call Stuart is what they're looking to employ more of for these events. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? I don't know why that should be important, but Look, it is. The point is, okay, right. Why, 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 why at the outbreak of the Ukraine-Russian war where we so depend on Russian energy? Great point. We should stop using oil for that reason, if nothing else. Energy security has become you know, something we don't think about, but it's vitally important for national I'll security. tell you why. Because we banned in our own backyard the use of fossil fuels. We didn't ban the use of Essentially, fuels. we did. Yeah, we legislated to make it almost impossible to fire up a new gas station in the UK or fire up a new coal, coal, coal power station in the UK. That's not why we're reliant on Russian gas. In fact, it's sort of the opposite of why we're reliant on Russian gas. Before that, why couldn't we just say, wait a minute, before we start thinking about the cumulative effects of greenhouse gases, in the short term, let's just be energy secure. I'm broadly in agreement with that. Well, a a bill for very short term, some gas powers and coal power fire stations. I don't think it's sensible to be building fossil fuel. No, it isn't. But but, but ultimately, these emissions are cumulative. They're not, you know, it's not per year, per year, per year. So you can, in the short term, build and then compensate for, can't you? It's just bad investment, isn't it? Because fossil fuels are only going to get more expensive. And Um, at some point, it's not going to be economic to run those. But no, plans. I really don't think we can we can side sideswipe, broad brushstroke the whole idea of energy security simply at the altar of renewable energy. We can't do that. The, the events of last few years have shown that. I think quite clearly. There's nothing about renewable energy that means that it can't give us energy security. But there is about single issue politicking that allows you to ignore democratic weight. Democratic weight. Well, like Brexit, for example. Like, for example... No, no, I mean, like, for example, the fact that nobody... <laughs> it's the will no, of the people, Paul. <laughs> they well, can't be wrong. <laughs> it clearly isn't. If you look at the people shouting and almost running these people over on the road when they stick themselves to the road, I mean, it clearly isn't the will of the people for them to be given this prominence and for them to, oh, yeah, but if you like... Those people would be angry in an electric car. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, your point is... <laughs> Your point is invalid. Let's talk about this week's movie, but but not until we've heard this music.
Hey, so Paul, if you had to name this movie, what would you call it? It's called. uh, It is called Safety Not Guaranteed. Ta da! I got it right. Starring, and I know you have trouble with actors' names. Starring, I was going to say Aubrey Plaza, but. It is Aubrey Plaza, yes. It's not Aubrey Plaza. I know you had it, had it written down. And you thought that was where you were meeting somebody tomorrow, presumably. <laughs> but somebody famous, if you like, is Mark Dupree or Dupree or I can't remember. I can't Duplass. Remember. Duplass. Yeah. I don't think in any world you could describe him as famouser than Aubrey. He's what? What do you mean? Is she famous? Very famous. She was in oh. Parks and Recreation for one thing. I see. So where do you know Mark Duplass from? I'm sure we've seen him in something else before. We have, yeah, but do you remember what No, I don't remember what it was. But I, re- I, re- I recognise the name and I remember the name and I remember the face. But I don't you remember, remember his face, yeah, yeah. What, do you remember that film where the guy dresses up in the wolf costume and does a dance? Is he a mass murderer? Yeah. Called yeah, was, that was quite a good movie. Yeah, that's Mark Duplass. I mean, I think he also kind of directed that as well. Because we said, is he, well, did he move on from that? We said, and now we know where he moved on from. But no, this is quite early, isn't this? 2010, I think. Oh, no, Creep was after this. Yeah, okay. This is like the high watermark of his acting career, I guess. He's very well cast in this film, especially considering his later role. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's a, brilliant, it's, it's a brilliant portrayal he gives here. But I don't know if he's well cast or if he just... If he just brings to his his, his acting brilliance, you know. Oh, Although in that other movie where he dresses the wolf, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> Creep. Uh, he, Creep. I've, I've already you. said the name um, once, Paul. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, he, he does seem to. Well, he just seems to have a natural knack for acting. I'm strange. Strange why he's not. Why he's not made it to the big time. There's something you can protest about, Paul. Hey, I wasn't right. protesting. I was not protesting about protesters. <laughs> I would be if they disrupted my tennis, but they haven't so far. <laughs> so the movie starts with Aubrey Plaza. What is her name yes. in this film? It's something odd, I think. Darius. Darius. I think it is Darius, yeah. Mm. It starts out, she's recounting her life. There's a sort of autobiographical montage going on. It turns out she's doing this in the context of a job interview for a yeah. waitress position in a grill restaurant. She gets asked the classic question you know why do you want this job and she says i need the money (laughs) it's a kind of honest answer that people should be happy to accept for a lot of jobs right and it's post financial crisis wasn't it oh i see you're fitting it right into the temporal context she doesn't get the job anyway she's an intern for a magazine company of some kind so was she looking to moonlight i think she was wasn't she well interns don't get paid do they shockingly in the united states did they not in 2010? And they certainly don't now. I thought it was always the case that interns didn't get paid. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I thought they got like some sort of like nominal... I think it might have changed to them having to be paid in some way. Some kind of minimum uh-huh. wage situation. But it's, it's extremely abusive. Presumably means that the only people who can get a foot in the door in certain professions, certain jobs, are people from wealthy families, presumably. That's how it must work, right? Well, yeah, I think these days you pay for your internship, don't you? You pay twice. You pay once with free labour, which might or may, may, may or may not be useful for the company, making cups of coffee, you know, doing the printing stack, 
and maybe one or two hours at the rock face learning what you're supposed to learn every day. Uh, and then, of course, you pay to get on the internships, well, don't you? It's outrageous, Paul, don't you think? But that's why those companies are not as successful as campus companies like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, that don't do these ridiculous, outdated practices. Right, because those other companies have better HR policies that progress and develop their employees. Yeah, if you're working in meritocratic industry, you need talented people. If you're not taking talented people on board, you're not going to do very well in the industry, are you, sir? Live by the internship, die by the internship is what I say. I can't see how it's sustainable, really. No. Unless there's some sort of ingrained privilege where other people can't access that market and compete. Well, she's getting the real dog's body job, isn't she? Because she's bending down to refill the toilet roll dispenser and she gets her hair hilariously wet in the toilet. But then American toilet bowls are different from... They flush different, don't they? They're different from British ones, aren't they? Because an American toilet has like a quite a wide, deep reservoir of water in the pan. Unlike... And it fills... And then, what does it do? Empty. I can't remember what it does. I think they do fill up more before they empty, yeah. They fill them flush, don't they? They're weird, aren't they? I don't understand they the are uh, weird. attraction. I wonder what the history is behind that design decision. I guess we have European-style toilets. They have American-style toilets. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. We certainly don't have Japanese-style toilets. I'll tell you, tell you that much. Are you talking about the electric ones where you sit on them and they have a bidet and a hairdryer in them? Mm-hmm. Or is, is there something else about Japanese toilets that I don't know? I, those are the ones I'm talking about, yeah. The electric toilet seat experience. Yes. Because I experienced that not so much in Japan, which is understandable because I've never been to Japan. You've never been to never Japan? Never been to Japan. I experienced those in Switzerland. Ah, which essentially is the Japan, Japan of the Europe. Japan of Europe, yeah. <laughs> Mountainous, full of polite, very well-ordered but. You suspect highly racist people. <laughs> um, it's in the I'd middle like of nowhere. Welcome our Swiss listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I said people suspect you. I meant as a general people generally. It's okay, we don't have any recorded listeners in Switzerland, nor for that matter in Japan. No, do we want any? Uh, no, sorry, no. We do in Singapore. Hello to Singapore. Hi, hi there, Mister Singapore or Missus Singapore, Miss Singapore, whoever you are. They have a magazine writers' meeting. And they're dishing out stories, aren't they? They And one guy, one reporter, they found this small ad in the magazine or newspaper, I don't know, purporting to be from a time traveller, and it's saying something along the lines of, need help on this mission, bring your own weapons, safety not guaranteed, I think is in the (laughs) advert, isn't it? And the reporter is obviously interested in this potentially quirky story, so his plan is to go and see whoever it was put the ad, but apparently they can't just be told who placed the ad, so they're going to have to do a bit of investigative work. He gets the all clear from his editor to go, and he takes two interns with him. And he says, I'll take the lesbian and the Indian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Darius. I mean, I think, you, I think you can actually say that in the office in 2010. But... <laughs> he takes them out. Now, they're in Seattle. This is set in Seattle, which I was very excited about. Because I was in Seattle just at the end of last year. Oh, that's right, yeah. And they're driving out to Ocean View, which is kind of a coastal resort on the west coast, I guess a few miles from Seattle. Is there an east coast of Seattle, Rich? It's a very complicated shoreline, isn't it, in that area? Is there? Puget Sound and everything. I suppose, Seattle yeah. Seattle is I on mean, a... From Douglas Adams' perspective, you know, if you, if you dig into those 
the crenellations of, of, of fractal of the geometry must, pull. A coastline it, it has, must at some point yeah. in some microscopic way be an east coast, I suppose. Some of it's some bits are east and some bits are west. I don't know. What can I tell you? It's complicated. Okay, so it's on the west coast. <laughs> it's on the Pacific coastline, yeah. yeah. Whereas Seattle isn't. Seattle is on Puget Sound. I think that's the important distinction. What about the centre of Seattle? Where is that? What do you mean? It's not on I. Well, the centre is not on any of the coasts. Is it not? Is it not Bayside? Is it not? Kind of. You need to look at a map, Paul. I'm looking at a map right I'm now. Sorry, but you're confused about the whole geography. Oh, wow. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, so it's like a little mini Norway, isn't it, really? I told you it was complicated. Nonetheless, I can't really see an East Coast. <laughs> Not on the ocean, admittedly, no. No. Right, so she's off to Olympic National Park, is that right? No, she's off to Ocean View, which is it's west-southwest of Seattle. I see. Wow. So she's off there. That's where the ad was, was placed, apparently. So they take a road trip down there. Her dad is pleased. He's encouraging her to get out. She's kind of... She's neuroatypical, isn't she, Darius, in this? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Now, what was the Beavers and Butthead spin-off called? Was that called Darius 2? Daria? Oh, Daria, that's right. Was that a Beavers and Butthead spin-off? Yeah, very definitely. I didn't know that. This is the kind of thing we'll be correcting next week, isn't it? Fairly sure it's a Beavers and Butthead. Well, uh, pains of Richard accusing me of being pedantic. I'm going to write this down for later, Richard. <laughs> Whilst they're discussing what they're going to do, they do ask what time you would go back to. And Darius says that she would go back to, you know, when dragons and elves were fighting in the magical forest. <laughs> Charming. Their plan is to go there and stick out the P.O. Box number that was on the ad. They're going to go to the post office where the P.O. Box has been rented or whatever and see who goes to pick it up. It's classic investigative journalism, isn't it? Darius, while they're doing this, she spots him in his... He's got a Datsun, hasn't he? A classic Datsun car that he drives around in. It's a 360Z. I think it is. It's a Z of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. It's the kind of Datsun I wanted when I was a kid. It's a bit beat up, but it's old, isn't it? But when I, want, but when I wanted a car, yeah. She spots um, him going into the post office or coming out, and she follows him. As you say, it is Mark Duplass, so we know him. He's working as a store clerk in, like, a hardware shop or a supermarket or something. And she gets his full name from colleagues by saying she's writing out a comment card about the service in the shop. He's very clever, actually. Meanwhile... The reporter who's brought the two interns is busy Facebook stalking one of his exes who apparently lives Yeah. There. In the car on the way, they're kind of discussing what they're going for. And he's, he's quite explicit, isn't it? It's a vacation. It's a vacation, yeah. Thing is, this kind of stalking, it feels like it would probably be illegal these days. <laughs> Do you think so? I mean, there are all laws against stalking, aren't there, these days? What? Finding out where somebody lives because you know them from before. I guess he's, all he's really doing is saying hello on Facebook, isn't he? And arranging to meet her. I don't think it is stalking at that point, is it? What, just looking at someone's pictures that they've published publicly on the internet? Probably not. Well, isn't that what they published before? For people to look at them? Great question, Paul. I don't think that's stalking, is it? Not in the legal sense of the well, word. Well, it, it might be in your mind, but in the legal sense it's not stalking, is it? I don't think I am. They managed to get... Just like threatening a child with no supper after bedtime. 
or before bedtime isn't a threat, is it? Threatening a child, what, starving a child as a form of discipline? No, no, I mean, provided you provide an evening meal, you can say, no, there's no food before bedtime. It's not a threat, though, is it? A threat is the conditional use of an illegal action. Right. So starving the child isn't illegal. Withholding a meal is not starving a child, Richard, is not <laughs> Well, I mean, it's the start of starving a child. At what, po- okay, at what point so do you intervene? Threatening, threatening, a child, <laughs> threatening a child with a naughty step is not a threat in a legal sense. The naughty step, okay. It's, it's not a threat, is it? But it's physical coercion, isn't it? It's, uh, what do you mean? What's the word? You know, it's like that's not holding someone under duress, isn't it? Putting them on the naughty stuff. When you're not entitled to it, but an apparent you are entitled to do that, aren't you? What about spanking, Paul? Is that acceptable? That's, I think that's still legal in the UK, isn't it? It's not assault, you know, mate. Legally, it's not assault, is it? Because it's not... Spare the rod and saying. spoil the child. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not <laughs> discussing the benefits of spanking. I'm saying it from a legal perspective. Because it's not... Because parents are entitled to do it, therefore it cannot be assault, can it? What's Paul looking up now? So I'm going to be convicted of a criminal threat. The prosecution must prove the defendant committed a threat of harm. <laughs> and harm here has to be defined as something that they're not legally entitled to do. <laughs> you won't let it lie tonight, will you? <laughs> I spank a child. So now we have to get to spanking UK. Spanking UK? That sounds like a website you want to visit. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Spanking children, UK. Okay, this is just... Oh, wow. Okay, it is unlawful, except when it's reasonable punishment. There you go. You must rue the day that they stopped caning in schools. <laughs> Imagine... I don't know. You see, Richard always does this. You know, he's got me... He's got me he's suggesting that somehow I'm supporting petrol heads that want to run over protesters. <laughs> I don't. And now I'm trying to explain that a threat in its normal sense is not a legal threat. He knows well what I'm saying. I don't know why he's trying to tie me in knots. So you can threaten the kids with a cane as long as you never actually carry it out and cane them. No, you can't. You can't. That's con- that's the conditional use. See, he's that's- looked into it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that, Richard. Why? Checked it because- with a solicitor. <laughs> because that would be uh, the conditional promise if you like, of illegal action, wouldn't it? It would, it would. No. Except I don't think it would in the UK. I think you can still physically punish your own children, can't you? You can't in Scotland anymore, I know that for certain. But in most of the UK, I think you can. That must be fun, on the border. I think, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Jump back over here, little Johnny. Yeah, I think, provided you don't leave any marks or well. No. I think, yeah. I think if you're looking up, like, yeah. Spanking is allowed provided it leaves no visible or lasting Fetch me the marks. wet telephone directory. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't get those anymore, do you? No one has. Do you have a telephone directory? I don't know. Do they even there make There were some anymore? downstairs here, but they've all been cleared out. Somebody's decided we don't need them anymore. Good grief. Imagine. I have a uh, snail mail count. How many days have we had at the point when I get up at 8 o'clock in the morning that there either is or isn't mail in the box that day? We got to 24 days without any snail mail, actually. So. Wow, not even flyers. That's pretty impressive. Not even flyers. No. That is good. No. They know this guy's name is Kenneth. Kenneth, yeah. Occupies his character is Kenneth. Jeff, the reporter, goes to see Kenneth, but he does not hit it off with him, does he? Completely fails. 
he does, his yeah. rapport doesn't click with Kenneth. So he sends him away with his tail between his legs. They obviously plan to send Darius to do the job, as she says, dangling her vagina-like bait. She goes into the shop. She tries to buy guns, because she knows that the advert said, bring your own weapons. And then a flail, <laughs> a spiky thing on a chain, she describes. And then she criticises his ad for not being explicit enough, as I'm I'm not sure. No. Anyway, he's obviously intrigued that she knows his ad and that she's trying to buy weapons. So they agree to a rendezvous somewhere safe because he's very paranoid. And the other intern and her reporter friend have to duck down so that he doesn't see them. So that he doesn't come over to her car. She claims she's being followed. So he drives away in a hurry and they, they swap numbers and stuff. I think she, she'd written her number on a Campbell's soup can. That was clever. That was clever. Later on in the movie, we get different kind of ways where they can encrypt messages to each other. And I was, I was interested to know what this encryption method was, but I'm not sure they went into detail, any detail about it, did they? Did they? When did they encrypt? Yeah, he says, I prefer the encryption method, direct encryption method, and the, the encryption is 44210 or something. <laughs> so it must have been a simple way to, I don't know. Well, it would be matrix manipulation or something. I don't know. I, I don't know how you pronounce it, a vignette cipher, I think is how you pronounce it. It's a standard cipher you might use for that kind of stuff, I think. And what is it? What happens? You write out your message, mm-hmm. then you write out your key, your full, full, whatever it was, too, at the top. Yeah. And I think you repeat it lots of times down the message. And then you use your key and your and the letter of your real message and combine them together. I suppose you might add four and then four and then one and then two to the letters. And you do that continuously all the way down. I see. I think that's how you you work it. And is it very hard to crack? No, it's trivial. It's frighteningly easy. Most encryption is astonishingly easy to crack. Consider they were able to crack Enigma, for instance. And it's even more impressive counterpart, Fish, as well. Without modern encryption, asymmetric, you know, one-way functions and stuff, most encryption is easily crackable. Except for the one-time pad, of course, which is mathematically uncrackable. You're looking at me with your head cocked like a, an interested dog. <laughs> no, sorry, I was trying to think. I was trying to think of the word. So you've got your key. Yes. And your cipher. So you have your plain text, your key and your cipher text, which is what you get out at the end of the process, yeah. And what's your reverse key called? I think that's asymmetric cryptography, isn't it, where you have a public and a private key. I think it's what you may be talking about. I'm not sure. Normally, in symmetric cryptography, you use the same key. Oh, right, okay. And yeah. So there's no reverse key with you. Meanwhile, Jeff, the reporter, he's gone off to see this old flame, but he's already said that he's not into her because she doesn't look as good in the new... As, as, as she did in the old photos. Yeah. And they meet at a football game where Darius is meeting Ken, as it turns out. And she's asking about his time travel machine and stuff. He says he's going back to 2001, which is like 10 years ago from the movie. But he has to get some certain materials to do it. Yeah, he doesn't really say at this point why he's going back to 2001, does he? He, he reveals that later on in the movie. No, he's very cagey about the whole reason for him going back. Yeah. 
And he plays it very well as an actor here. He comes off across as endearingly naive. He's also, also clearly neuro-atypical, isn't he? But endearingly atypical and naive, yeah. But also potentially batshit crazy. Paranoid, certainly, yeah. It's not clear which way as an audience we should sort of swing with this one. So I thought it was quite well played. After this, they meet up again and Ken takes Darius shooting, basically as training, ostensibly as training. They're shooting yeah. bottles <laughs> off a fence and stuff, aren't they? They do karate on the beach. And you're getting the idea that they're probably, well, she's getting into him, right? She's, yeah. she's digging this guy. He's very intense. He's, yes, he's incredibly intense, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps a little credulous. He asks her why she wants to go back. She has to extemporise some reason, right? She says she's going to stop her mum from dying when she was 14, killed by a guy at a gas station. Oh, that was made up. Oh, right, okay. Right, okay, that was made up. Yeah, she admits to the other intern later that she just made it up, yeah. Oh, right, okay. I mean, it's best when you're lying to put a bit of truth in. She could have said something about a magazine article that she regrets writing. <laughs> she wasn't allowed to write articles. She was the intern, Paul. She cleaned toilets well, she was the at, the, at the magazine. She, she'd do the grill. I don't know why, because she's a great journalist, clearly. Jeff goes to see his ex again at her house, and he's... You know, explaining how he's made it and he's got an Escalade and a condo and she's talking about her life and she winds up giving him a neck massage and telling him she's just baked a load of pies. And he's clearly also completely smitten with her, isn't he? The domesticity of life has completely hooked him. Aubrey is videoing Kenneth. He's talking about the whole mission being about love. He warns about using future knowledge not to go back and warn kids about taking their Star Wars toys out of the box. or <laughs> He also mentioned giving the code to the game Contra, like the cheat code. Now, this is just standard kind of in an American diner chat, isn't it? Where you know something weird's going to happen. <laughs> How is that standard in diner chat? Oh, you're talking about like uh, David Lynch here, aren't you? <laughs> Any kind of movie where weird things happen in a diner, don't they? <laughs> Like people get their heads blown off or somebody turns up who shouldn't have turned up, that kind of thing. That's right. And at one point he turns around because some kid is behind them making a nuisance of themselves. Goofing off, yeah. And, and his ear falls off. His, his ear falls off. That's right. <laughs> so pretty unexpected. I was, I really was not expecting this at all. Well, there's been a clue was, earlier, hadn't there, in his car. He was messing with his ear. Ah. But now, you know, she pointed out to him, your ear's falling off. Your ear's falling off. (laughs) He flips out and leaves the diner, you know, in shock, as it were. And he explains after she comes. We had a wonderful watershed moment, don't we? He confesses up, he fesses up, you know, his feelings about why he's like he is and what's all going on. Apparently he didn't have it when he was a kid. And his mum couldn't afford a prosthetic until he was fully grown. Yeah, only a one-time prosthetic because they afford. So he was the object, he was the butt of the kid's jokes, wasn't he? The little thing. And then we get a nice sense of where she's like, she's like, me too, you know, like, I didn't have it good. Like, I couldn't wear blouses for however many years because I had my Chewbacca hairy arms kind of thing. <laughs> and then she showed him her hairy limbs. Did she? I don't remember that. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Ken needs apparently lasers from a laser company that he's been staking out in the area. And he takes her that night, takes her to... Has he, has he mentioned his girlfriend at this point? No. I don't think so. He takes her to break in 
to this place. He leaves her in the car as the getaway driver. It's a medical research facility or something like it's that. A, I don't know. It's a laser company. Industrial lasers, I guess. Like He takes the security guards hostage. He sneaks around. Everything's sort of dark. But then as he's sneaking past one office, it seems that there's like a leaving do or a party occurring in the office. So he has to sneak past this. He stacks a load of pelican cases from a storeroom. And at some point as he's leaving, the party see him going out. He's dressed in a balaclava and cat burglar costume. And they all kind of... He's very well prepared, isn't he? Because he's he's robbed the... Well, he's mounted a successful assault on the the frat driver and robbed the lasers and put them in the back of a stolen van. Yeah. That Aubrey Plaza is driving for him. Yeah. They get away. He has to ditch the van and he transfers everything to his car. He explains at this point that he's going back for a girl, his first girlfriend. He says that she died caused by a... Uh, a drunken driver who crashed into her living room. All the reporters go to Ken's shed and they look in, or garage, garage, they look in through the windows, they see like an engine of some kind, it looks like, some piece of equipment anyway. As they're there, stop spying, they see Kenneth leaving and as he drives away, they actually see these two shifty guys in raincoats jump in a car and follow him. So it seems he, say, he yeah. really is being followed by G-Men, as he keeps telling Darius that he is. Yeah, I mean, as Nirvana said themselves, just because you're paranoid don't mean they're not after you. I'm sure they lifted that from a novel somewhere, didn't they? Jeffy's getting off with his axe, isn't he? Yeah, rather successfully. Yeah, they shag on the picnic table after she's again shown him the joys of domestic life. <laughs> and this is when Ken is showing her the old truck and the little box where they can put messages because there's no notes in the box, he concludes, there's no problem. They can go back. Nothing bad is going to happen, because otherwise they would have put a note in there. So when do we find out about his girlfriend? I just mentioned that he out? said he was going back for his girlfriend. Oh, right. To save her from a drunken driver plowing into her house. Yeah, terrifying story. And pivotal, as it later turns out. Jeff asks his ex to move back to Seattle with him and settle down together. But she declines. She's not keen on the idea. And so Jeff wants to get completely wasted, and he goes on a drunken bender with the virgin intern that he brought with him. And they find a couple of girls. They're outside the 7-Eleven or whatever. Mm -hmm. They take them on a crazy night of drunken debauchery. Meanwhile, Ken and Aubrey are prepping in a scout camp. Ken has got a zither with him for some reason. (laughs) He plays a beautiful song on that, said that. <laughs> yeah, an original song that he wrote. That's right. MGMT. You know, remember MGMT and their couple of hits? That people misunderstood because they were supposed to be really crap music and then they hit the charts because they were, it was really crap music. They designed it to be like a sarcastic comment on, on pop music. Did they? And then people thought, wow. Yeah. All that kind of tree-hugging kind of sort of luminous paint-wearing kind of hippie kind of, what's it called? Let's pretend or something. That was all supposed to be, like, annoyingly, cloyingly catchy. Oh, blimey. I'm going to have to put some on the Spotify playlist, don't I? The Drive-By Cinema Spotify playlist. Mm. I used that recently, you know, when we were on the drive down to see the radar installations. We, we listened to the Drive-By Cinema Spotify playlist in the car. It's one of those annoying songs that you think, oh, it's a really cool video. Yeah, it seems to have good sentiments. I really like the music. And then when you listen to the band... 
talking about what they made is they made it purposefully shit. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it causes Darius to go in for a kiss on Kenneth, doesn't it? It would do. It's like acoustic MTV version of like an MGM <laughs> on a zither. MGM style hit on a zither. You know who wouldn't? I think also the other intern Arno, uh, the Indian guy, is getting laid as well. Yeah. It's all coming together for the team, except for Jeff, of course, he's been a bit rebuffed. But then a bit of a turn, the editor of the magazine calls because Jeff has been reporting back. And she says that Ken's girlfriend, the guy who he yeah. said had died 10 years ago, is alive and well. Mm. The reporters go to interview her. And who is it, Paul? Well, she's really fit, you know. I mean, but you don't, of course, know who the actress is. I really don't. Anyway, no, I haven't. It's Kristen Bell, more famously known, I suppose, as Veronica Buffy Mars. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, 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 no, she wasn't Buffy. The, that was Sarah Michelle Gellar. No, she was Veronica Mars, which is a TV show that I think is well worth binging for its delightfulness. It's amazing, Veronica Mars. She plays like a, a college student who's also a detective. It's very California. It's very LA. It's really good. It's my guilty pleasure. What's she in? What was she in? Veronica Mars. More recently, she's in The Good Place, which is a comedy about the afterlife. But she made it big in Veronica Mars. So I was yelling and jumping off the sofa at the fact that I didn't know Kristen Bell was in this. And she's really playing the villain in the piece, isn't she? Mm -hmm. Okay, Veronica Mars. It's an American teen noir mystery drama television series created by... Screenwriter Rob Thomas. And it had great theme music by uh, the Dandy Warhol. But it started 2004, so you already... I mean, she was famous before 2010, yes. is what you're telling yeah. me. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It was so popular that they brought it back again. I think it was like another mini-series or a film, or it might have been a film and then another series. Anyway, really, really good. I just recommend watching Veronica Mars. If you've got, Whoa. If you've got a spare, like, I don't know how many hours it would be. It's like six seasons or something. Right, and list of Kirsten Bell's performances. Is it Kirsten Bell we're talking I think about? It's here? Kristen Bell, isn't it? Kristen Bell, yeah. Safety Not Guaranteed, 2012. You're right. Gosh, she's been in a lot. She's been in Frozen. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's the voice of Anna. <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, she's wildly famous, Richard. Oh, no. She's wildly famous because of Veronica Mars. I see. You know, so uh, two weeks ago, I was trying to find some teen fiction, i.e. books, because we were, you know, we're trying to drive the teens under my care, who are adults, bank, to read more. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking, like, Drummer Sweet Valley High. Oh, wow. That's another classic. Now, that was a, what, what a classic series of books that was. Oh, I don't know the books. I only know the TV show. Yeah, the TV show, but it's based on the books. I didn't know about the books. Which were highly, highly consumable. Like, you could just, like, Devour them down like Pop-Tarts. But the books okay. wouldn't have had the theme music. No. Look back down in a crowded hallway. Did the hallway, theme music sound, like, see, it sound a bit like the theme music from Saved by the Bell? A l maybe a little bit. A little bit. Look back down in a crowded hallway, see a beauty standing. Is she everywhere? Or a reflection at Sweet Valley, Sweet Valley High. Because they're twins, aren't they? They are. 181 books over 20 years. But they must be good. Well, I, I found them very readable, but I was trying to look for their modern equivalent, and there seems to be no sort of accessible vampire slayer 
team Sweet Valley High kind of kind of equivalence these days, which is strange. Like once you get past David Williams, it all kind of peters out. Do you know what I mean? There isn't that section in the bookshop anymore. I guess because teens immediately go to dedicated manga or dedicated science fiction or just, you know, dedicated adult fiction, don't they, these days? There isn't that bridging area where they can talk about kissing but nothing else kind of thing. But, Paul, explain to me why is Kristen Bell's character, Belinda, Kenneth's so-called ex-girlfriend, why is she the baddie of this film? What do you mean? When Darius goes to speak to her, Oh, well, you, she's a baddie in the sense that she brings bad news to the plot, doesn't she? I mean, what is the bad news? She ain't dead. She never has been dead. <laughs> and there was a car crash, but it was Kenneth crashing jealously into her boyfriend's house. And uh, also she says she wasn't really ever his girlfriend. Never his girlfriend. He was a kind of creepy guy that you knew he had a crush on you, but he never came out. And, you know, round the gauntlet of rejection or acceptance. And she comes off as rather shallow, doesn't she? Basically. Maybe. Or maybe just, like... She didn't get uh, him. This is the point. At this point, uh, we're supposed to side with Darius, who sees, you know, the nice bits about Ken and understands... Yeah, but nonetheless, she's not obligated to... You know, she's not obligated to have a hippie kind of ashram relationship with him to prove... To prove, prove free love, is she? I mean, she, sure, sure. I, I, but she I, is a shallow person. You, you, that's why we're not supposed to like her. Oh, why don't I like shallow people? <laughs> I know it's difficult not to love Chris and Bell, but there you go. She's the baddie in this piece. I see what you Well, I mean, she's the baddie in the sense that she brings bad news, but ultimately we have to therefore think about, well, you know, is he just doing this as a serial data to get people on board, seduce them with this sad tale of death? which is cleverly based around a half-truth, and then gets him in the sack and then moves on to the next one kind of thing. Darius immediately goes to confront Ken, doesn't she? She puts this to him and says, you know, I've talked to Belinda, and explains it all all about it. But of course... Doesn't really explain the people following the car, though, does it? Ken is delighted because it means he's been successful, or he's going to have been successful, which is what I immediately thought. It's obviously she's alive now, because he's going back to fix the situation. So she can't have died. I see. The time travel that we're experiencing in this movie, the model, is like Tenet. Everything has happened, has happened. That if she is alive, it's because Ken is going to go back and make sure she doesn't die. Do you know, if I was the intern here, that's not what I would be thinking. But, you know... What, what would you be thinking? really... Well, I'd be, th- I'd be thinking time travel isn't possible. She never died and this guy is batshit crazy. Darius, I don't know, maybe she's on the fence. Maybe she's not convinced. I mean, I, 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 I've been remaining open to be convinced, but I, w- I can't imagine being in a situation what would convince you that he wasn't just a weird guy who kind of effectively, how do you say it, sort of, not day rapes, but scam rapes people with this ridiculous tale of time travel. I mean, what's happened to suggest otherwise? Nothing, really. When Jeff turns up to warn them that the agents following are nearly upon them, Ken thinks that she's betrayed him to Jeff, the journalist who he didn't like. So he fucks off. But he does say that he's going to be going that night to meet him at a prearranged place at a certain time. And he runs off. Yeah. She runs off to the truck and looks in the box just to make sure there's no warning messages. And then that evening she goes to see him and he's got 
on a little boat on a little lake or river. He's got his contraption that he's taken out of his shed. And it's got all of these crazy sparks and flashing lights going. He offers her to get on the boat. And the agents show up along with the two reporters, the other reporters. She does eventually take his hand and jump on the boat. He activates the time machine and they disappear. Yeah. Now, this is essentially, you know, this act. It it happens rather too quickly (laughs) and rather too much at the end of the movie. Can I tell you something, Paul? Yeah. In the first version of this film, Uh they had it that the time machine didn't work. Whoa. Then they changed their mind, went back, shot this ending, and this is what they published the film as. I see. I just kind of feel like it all happens too quickly in the end. It's a bit of a rushed ending. Do you not feel that? I just really, I thought it's a great, it would have been a great ending, but it's just like, they don't give it the attention it deserves. I mean, this is a pockle, isn't it? You know, time travel. Is time travel the first time ever? You know, it should be just like, yes, it could happen out in the wild in the boondocks with only two two secret secret agents watching. But at the same time, in terms of their emotional journey, I think more has to be made of this, doesn't it? Yes, they're in a rush. They're in a rush to do it all, but I, we don't really get to see from their perspective at all, do we? It's just two or three minutes of some special effects on a swamp boat. What do you call those swamp boats that are powered by a fan on the back? I don't think it is a swamp boat. It's just a boat with his machine on that looks a bit like a fan. A bit like a swamp boat, okay. Yeah. But I, I think this story really is a love story, a rom-com love story between two neuroatypical yeah, people. Yeah, it's charming, you know. A neurotypical... Sorry. Is that the right word? Anyway. Yeah. So his sincerity and his kind of gullibility stems, I guess, or he's connected to his atypical neurological sort of brain chemistry or whatever. I think this is an example of how you, how, how Big Bang Theory could have done it, really. Oh, God, yeah. Interesting point. This is quite early for a... A sensitive look at neurotypical people mm. as well, I think. The story that they're pinning this around, as it were, is very similar to the story we may have discussed before, the story of John Titor, or Titor. Titor. Have you heard of us? No. It's internet folklore. Oh, the, the teenager that learned how to make a nuclear reactor in his own garage? No, that's real life, Paul. Well, this is real life, but only on the internet. So back in 2000, 2001, a guy started posting to message boards on the internet claiming to be an American military time traveler from 2036. He kept this up for quite a while, several months, if not years, telling the story of how he got there and what he was doing there. Story was, he comes from a future in the US where there's been a devastating nuclear war. US has fragmented into five different sovereignties and he's been sent back to 1975 to retrieve an old IBM computer. Apparently, it's the only thing that can debug and emulate legacy code that they need in his future. And there's none left in his future. He has to come back and get one. On his way back to the future, as it were, he sort of stopped off here in 2000, 2001. And he starts sharing knowledge and predictions about the future. He does this on well, several message boards, including, you know, Art Bell, Coast to Coast Radio. 
and all these weird stuff. I think that was one of the forums he was posting on. He had a time machine in his Chevrolet, and there was a famous picture published of him shining a laser pointer, and the laser was bending in midair, and he was claiming it's because it's powered by a singularity in the device that's on the passenger seat. <laughs> right. So, Paul, do you have any questions? Did you ever hear of this guy? No, no. I'm, I'm going to check him out. What's his name again? John Titor, T-I-T-O-R. How'd you find these people, Richard? It's the kind of weird internet folklore that you get exposed to. He's not the only one. I mean, there have been several people who've posted things online saying they're time travellers. There was another guy looking for particular things so he could make his time machine work. But John Taito is especially interesting because he kept it up for quite a while. He also made predictions about the future. And given that it's now 20 years ago since he started this, I'm surprised, Paul, that you haven't already asked me what he predicted. That would surely be... What did he predict? Surely be the first thing you'd ask of a time traveller, isn't it? Wouldn't it? I don't know. Go on. He predicted that about the year 2004 to 2005, there would be civil war in the US. Conflict well, hasn't been. over civil liberties and escalating until a large-scale clash by 2008. You're right, it hasn't been. But to be honest, it does seem like it was only sort of 15 years out, doesn't it? <laughs> True. I mean, I think there's a very real chance civil war could erupt in the next... Either that or we're going to have a president in prison when he takes office. <laughs> I couldn't help but think about the weird cult, Christian cult religious movement that was founded in 1974 by Bonnie Nettles called the Heaven's Gate. Heaven's who Gate, committed suicide yeah. In tracksuits. In tracksuits. Yeah, weirdly. We have talked about this before, I'm sure. I, I thought the we have, and the ending for me just... I think, are we not supposed to assume that none of this is true and they're just sad people who've become deluded? Well, that's what the original ending of the film was saying, wasn't it? Yeah. But it's a bit downbeat because it just seems like there's a lot of jail time ahead for one of them. <laughs> well, no, I think we're supposed to still think the same thing, but now we're inhabiting their enthusiasm for it all, aren't we? It's a love story like, between two people who are on the same oh, wavelength. Like yeah. yeah. John Titor also predicted that... 2004 would be the last Olympics, that after that it would be cancelled. <laughs> oh, he got, he got cancelled culture straight away, didn't he? Right, okay. 2015, World War Three, And again, <laughs> it may be these only, like, 10 years out there. I don't know about that. And he predicted mad cow disease, CJD, would cause a, a pandemic of, you know, People well, that already happened in 92, hadn't it? Yeah. Now, the thing about that is, though, don't they say that those prion diseases are going to affect people who ate beef, like, years later? So, me and you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get CJD. CJD, yeah. It's likely that we're all, um, a lot of people in Britain might be, you know, will we'll sort of see the effects of that. We think it's likely, or the medic makes think it's likely that we'll see the effects of that down the line eventually. Because it wasn't particularly well controlled by the British government, was it? He predicted that time oh. travel would be widely known before 2036. Well, that's lovely, but it hasn't happened, even with AI. You know, I take my predictions from Baba Vanga, who I'm sure we've spoken about before. Baba Vanga. Vangelia Pandeva Gustarova, okay, uh, commonly known as Baba Vanga, was a Bulgarian blind mystic and herbalist. Right. 
when was he? She. Oh yes, yeah. What were her during predictions? the late seventies and 80s, at the end of the communist communist period, she was widely known in Eastern Europe for her alleged abilities of clairvoyance and precognition. So she's made several very famous predictions that featured in the Daily Star, the Sun, and the Daily Mirror. Uh-huh. Have any of them come uh, some, true? Well, I'm just I'm just hovering down here. Some predictions attributed to her followers include the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, the election of African American as the 44th president of the United States, the September 11 attacks, and Princess Diana's death. There you go. Right. But of course, you know, she doesn't actually name dates. She just speaks in very sort of Nostradamusy kind of sentences that can be interpreted in, in various ways. That can be loosely interpreted, if you like. Okay. I don't think I don't know what this has got to do with time travel. She's not claiming she's travelled back in time, Paul. Get with the programme here. She's predicting the future, for crying out loud. Score this film so and she, be out of here. So if <laughs> if you've seen the future, you must have been there, surely. Or not. He's a hand fill tonight, isn't he? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, what, uh, what you're saying, I mean, you're saying that if I've seen the future and I've experienced it, I haven't time-travelled? According to the special and general theories of relativity... Oh, okay. The future exists, doesn't it? It's just a different place. It's already there. It's not unformed, unforged. It has already happened, in a sense. In some sense of already, which doesn't make any sense in a timeless way. The future is a landscape just on the other side of a ridgeline, isn't it? And if we could just climb up, we would see it laid out before us. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, Paul, score the acting in Safety Not Guaranteed. <laughs> I, I like the acting. I, I thought that, what's his name? Uh, Mark Duplass. Duplass, thank you. Mark Duplass performed creditably to be, to, to portray Kenneth and his his not failings but his his gullibilities his enthusiasms and you know his, his at times simplicity yeah so and uh, what's she called Aubrey Plaza Aubrey Plaza yeah yeah great job with Darius uh, so I loved it I think the acting definite strong point 8.5 from me oh yeah I'll give it a strong 8 maybe even a 9 it has Kristen Bell in so it's got me sold love it should we talk about time travel physics I don't know, really. There isn't very much of it, is there? It's some lasers. Listen, Paul, the fact is that this is completely consistent. You know, whatever they went back to do, they obviously succeeded because Belinda is alive and well. It all ties up. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I, I didn't really go for this, this aspect, this remake of the movie, whereby any of that is actually true. You didn't like that? You don't like the. You want the original. No, I, I mean, to the, you want the original. To the end of the movie, no. I just, to the end of the movie, I'm just assuming that they do go up in a pile of smoke. They haven't time travelled. <laughs> They've just obliterated themselves with a laser, kind of thing. <laughs> and she's always been alive. It's just for whatever reason, Darius has been swept along in this delusion. I thought that's what the movie was about. I should say, in terms of time travel, although it it is similar to John Titor. I think it actually comes from an incident where a journalist was asked to put some small ads, fill space in a small ads thing, and just made up a small ad that he thought was funny. I think that's where it really comes from, according to IMDb. I thought it was worth saying that before people got excited and told me I was wrong. I'll give it a six for its time travel physics, as it's quite light on the detail, isn't it? I'm going to give it a five. I'm not sure... 
the technicality of time travel relevant to essentially what is a tragic love story? Well, I don't think it's tragic, so let's talk about plot. So mm-hmm. forth. It's quite low-key, isn't it, mm-hmm. in a lot of it? it? It's not like, it doesn't feel like a blockbuster movie. It feels toned down. Mm-hmm. It's chill. It's yeah. quite chill. It's kind of like the movie that nobody seems to be watching. I <laughs> uh, don't mean in a bad way. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't feel like something that's surrounded by billing and marketing and that kind of thing. It's just a quiet little movie in the woods, quite literally. I like the setting as well. I suppose it's quite funny. I'll give it a seven here. I enjoyed the plot. I think it would be better put back on its knife edge where we're not really sure if they're time travelling or not. Although you seem to say the other the other, the other, other ending is we're pretty clear that they're not time travelling. I would have preferred an ending where we're just not sure if they're time travelling. Uh, leave it more ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. Leave it more ambiguous. That's my only real sort of down mark for the whole plot. Otherwise, strong, I'm going to give it a 7.5. All right. Any more categories or are we going straight to overalls? Let's go straight to I'll put my overalls on. Okay, here we go. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a seven, isn't it, I think? It's above average. It's quite charming. It's not amazing. It's not offensive. Paul couldn't see it once. I've just, I've, just, I've just looked at my score. Yeah, it has come out average seven. I'm going to give it 7.5, actually. I did enjoy it more than I expected. I thought, oh, God, it's going to be a drippy movie uh, about things that never actually occurred. Like love. But we did actually get some time. <laughs> Well, no. When, when does love occur? It's not real, is it? It's all made up. <laughs> it's well, we'll get onto that in a second. Oh, will we? Yes, uh, no, definitely. But no, drippy thing, drippy, kind of drippy movie about things that don't count. I.e., you know, sci- uh, sci-fi special effects, but we do get them in the end. Okay, so we kind of fulfilled on its promise. So I was, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised with the ending because I wasn't expecting a technical ending, so to speak. You know, any kind of pyrotechnics, which we definitely got. It's just. It needs to be fleshed out, you know. It's it's not credible, you know, just the, the passive nature of these two these two government hoodlums on his back all the time, you know. It's just not convincing, given his the amateurish amateurishness of his Ramboisms, that he could evade their attention kind of thing. So but and again, it's meant to be a gentle love comedy, isn't it? So I'm not sure as how Cecilius was supposed to take it as a movie in its entirety. But enjoyable nonetheless, you know. Paul, what are we going to do next week? I don't know, but isn't love just comfortable mediocrity? <laughs> Which I wanted to say to you. Yeah, perhaps you're right. Yeah, yeah, nothing too exciting. Next week, I, I, I don't know whose choice it is. I think I chose that one last week, didn't I? Did you choose it? I, you know, it's impossible to say. Well, give me a choice then, Paul. I think you chose it as well, but I can't remember who chose it. No. I kind of insisted. You gave me a choice, but I'd already chosen by the time you... You had already chosen, yeah. yeah, So it's my chance chance to have a choice, Richard. Oh, all right, okay. Your first choice is Infinitum. Right, which I've looked up. Okay. So you don't need to explain that to me. All right. And the second choice is Trance, the Danny Boyle movie. Oh, wow, that sounds interesting. I wonder who chose that one. Or suggested that one. And what's the third one, Richard? Third one is another Aubrey Plaza, because she's amazing, called Lisbeth. And what's that about? Not Queen Elizabeth, please. I think she comes back as a zombie girlfriend. Oh. Come on, I want a break from all the horror and all the sci-fi we've been doing. And I want to go to some classic Brit flickery. So I'm going to choose Trance by Danny Boyle on Prime and also Google and Google Play. And, is it Google Play? I think it is. 
and YouTube. All right, then. That's it. Until the next time. We'll be winging our merry film time travel ship towards your way. (laughs) Thank you for listening and goodbye. Ciao for that. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.